Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to the Napoleonic Wars pod where we're staying with a kind of deep dive into different factions of the French army. No, Graham Callister isn't in the house tonight. He'll be back for another one very soon. Hold on to your backsides. It's a belter. But we are going to shift focus in terms of nationality. So you may recall that back along I had David Greylick in to talk about Polish troops and the Duchy of Warsaw. And at the time we threatened slash teased, depending on your perspective, you with the prospect of an episode on Polish troops in the French army. And I'm delighted to say that today we're going to deliver on that threat. I am therefore joined once again by David, who, if you have forgotten, is a PhD researcher at the University of Adam Mickiewicz in Poznan in Poland. He has briefed me multiple times on the pronunciation there. I haven't suddenly developed the ability to speak Polish with any level of accuracy. Um, But never mind. I I think from the thumbs up, I'm getting that I managed to get away with that one. Uh, His interests are in the 18th and 19th century Um, in terms of military history and especially the Napoleonic Wars and his PhD thesis is on the officer corps of the Duchy of Warsaw Army which incidentally he's recently submitted as part of that process so he'll be examined very soon and I'm looking forward to the point where I can introduce him as Dr David. David welcome back to the show good to see you how are you doing? Yeah hi good to see you too. So Before we talk French forces, there is an important point that you made to me, that Polish troops are virtually everywhere in European armies during this period. So folks, go back to the previous, I believe it was two-parter. It might have been an exclusive episode, or at least one part of it might have been exclusive. Um, Don't worry about that, because the other part will get released in due course. So hold on to your hats. But we we made this, well, you made this point, I didn't make this point. 
that actually Polish troops do end up being enrolled across the European armies, including the British. So tell us more about that, first of all. Yeah, to put it bluntly, Poles have a way of turning up in unexpected places, especially when it comes to wars. <laughs> but speaking seriously, the presence of Poles in the various armies of the Napoleonic era shows how complicated the fate of the Polish lands and Poles was during this period. Moving on to specifics, um, during the Napoleonic Wars, um, Poles did indeed serve in, uh, in many armies. Of course, most of them served in the Dutch of Warsaw Army, which we talked about last time. There was also quite a large um, group in the French Army, which is the subject of our conversation today. Um, but they were also a large group of Poles in all the armies. I think that it's quite obvious that soldiers of Polish origin were in the armies of Poland's partitioners, such as uh, in the armies of Russia, Austria and Prussia, because the Dutch of Warsaw didn't include all the lands of the ex-Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth. Uh, anyway, regiments began to be formed in these armies, which were intended to be composed of Polish recruits, and they were often regiments of cavalry. Thus, um, regiments uh, were created, for example, in the Austrian army, the the the, the regiments. And incidentally, Prince Joseph Frantowski even took part in the organization of the first uh, of these. Um, there is even an uh, an episode uh, from the Battle of Program that there was a clash between uh, Ocean Second Ulan Regiment and Chevalier Regiment, so the Polish Regiment in the, from the French Army. A similar regiment was also created in the Prussian Army, and it was so called Tobazhish or Comrades Regiment, and also in the Russian Army in the form of the Polish uh, Ulan Regiment. Um, besides, in all these armies were officers of Polish origin who were able to receive high decorations. For example, Józef Sowinski, known in Poland primarily as a hero of the um, November Uprising, received Prula Merit, so the highest Prussian decoration, for his participation in the Battle of Eilau. Interestingly, after he started his service in the Dutch Officer Army, because he start, started his service in this army in um, 1811, he continued to wear this medal. In fact, there is a portrait of him in a Polish uniform when he has this medal. Apparently, it was once supposed to have been seen by Napoleon, who was said to be annoyed that an officer of the Allied army was wearing such a medal. Um, but coming back to main threat, because as usual, I'm doing too much digressions. Um, apart from the cases described above, Poles ended up in various armies by different ways. For example, in the British Army served Polish prisoners of war, um, first three participants in the war in Haiti, so this Napoleonic intervention of San Domingo, uh, and then taken prisoner during the Peninsular War. Poles ended up, for example, in the 16th Infantry Regiment, as well as the Vaudeville, the Royal and Chasseur Britannique Regiments. Poles in the British Army fought both in the War of 1812 in America, and as part of the Wellington's army. In addition, Poles were also, for example, in the army of Naples or the army of the Kingdom of Westphalia. So Poles were, in fact, everywhere during the Napoleonic Wars as a soldiers. Which is fantastic. And it's one of those kind of forgotten history things that I think is, is really nice to talk about. Not so much perhaps forgotten in the French army, because we talk a lot about 
um, the Polish contingent uh, in Napoleon's army, but um, in other forces, uh, other nations, I think it gets forgotten about. It's simply not known in many cases. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's a complex history. It immediately strikes me that this sounds like a bit of a continuation of the rationale in terms of military service that exists earlier in the 18th century. Um, and folks, if you want to understand this better, um, you might want to go and read Ilya Berkovich's Motivation in War, um, available from Cambridge University Press, which is really nice in terms of giving you a better understanding of what military service was during that century, because it's very different even to what we see during the Napoleonic era. But he makes the point that actually, for a lot of these guys, they're more like mercenaries than they are soldiers employed by their own yeah. state. That sense yeah. of yeah, there's a, even there's even a book uh, wrote uh, wrote by Guy Dempsey entitled Napoleon's Mercenaries. There you go. And, 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 and it's about foreign units in uh, in the French army during uh, the consulate and uh, the empire. So. There you go. But but, but 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 for the force, it's not exa exactly right uh, title to be called mercenary. But we will talk about it. Absolutely, we'll we'll dig into that. So there you go, folks. Go and add Guy Dempsey's book to your reading list. Um, but yeah, th there is this kind of sense, and and Ilya makes this point very nicely that one year you might be serving in the French army. Then suddenly you might be serving in the Swiss, so you end up fighting against the French, and then suddenly you might actually find yourself serving with the Germans, and then you might even go back to the French, and all in the space of one career, and that's not all that unusual. So there is a different kind of culture, I guess, around military service. Yeah. Um, and it sounds as though in places that might perhaps have also been true of some Polish troops, though not within the context, as you say, of the the French um those serving in in the french army an, an immediate question to come out of this is why because we're now going to focus on the french folks um which i think makes sense why do these troops enlist in the french army in the first place and what kind of proportions are we talking about in comparison to other nations so for example i wouldn't imagine there are huge numbers of polish troops fighting for the british um inevitably you're going to probably and you've just pointed to this um because of the russian occupation of the polish lithuanian commonwealth or large parts of it um you're going to perhaps get more troops not more polish um individuals serving in the russian army yeah. is it as simple as geography um i guess but why particularly the french and how what are the numbers that we're talking about here in fact in order to add a to answer this question, it's necessary to separate two periods. Um, the first covers the years from uh, 1797 to 1807. During this period, there was no form of Polish statehood, and the aim of the Polish units was to win Polish independence, in fact. Um, France was a natural ally, as it had fought all the partitioners during the wars against first and second coalition. Um, Besides many of the people who formed these first formations had Republican views, so Republican France was a natural destination for emigration and forming Polish units. 
And the second period was from uh, 1807 to 1815. That is after the Dutch of Warsaw, as the title of for Polish statehood was established. Um, here, several reasons can be identified. Firstly, the creation of regiments such as the Chevalier was prestigious, showing Napoleon's mutual relations uh, with the force related to the existence of the Polish regiment within the Imperial Army and Imperial Guard. Mm, besides, Napoleon himself, himself valued Polish soldiers and wanted to keep some Polish units under his control, which was one of the main reasons why the Vistula region wasn't incorporated into the Duchy of Warsaw army. During the period, there was um, also a group of Polish officers who wanted to serve in the French army to develop their careers. They felt they didn't have many opportunities to, uh, to, um, to have a promotion in the Polish army, which was true to a certain extent. Um, while within the French army, they could gain promotion and rewards, you know, titles, uh, decorations, lands. Um, a good example of this group is General Michał Sokolnicki, who after the War of 1809 came into conflict with Poniatowski, the commander-in-chief of the Dutch Warsaw Army, because he felt undervalued besides not being given the command he expected. Um, he therefore transferred to the French army and in 1812 became chief of intelligence of the Grand Armée. Uh, in turn, after the Russian campaign, the French army included a larger group of uh, Polish officers for whom there wasn't enough um, places in the army of the Duchy of Warsaw because of the losses in the Russian campaign and the retreat from the Duchy to Germany. In fact, there was, uh, it wasn't enough privates in ranks to, to have so many officers. Um, by the way, Napoleon welcomed them with open arms, especially cavalry officers because there was uh, lack of experienced officers in the French army in uh, 1813. So uh, Polish officers uh, were welcomed in, in the French army in the times. Um, think about numbers, it's uh, a little bit more difficult um, because we can't compare it with the numbers from the other armies, um, be mostly because there is no research uh, in that area from, I don't know, like Austrian, uh, Prussian and the Russian army. But we know we can say that several thousands uh, of people served in that armies. I mean, Prussian, Austrian and uh, and Russian. And it, and, it, and, it, and, it, and in the French army, there was also several thousand people serving there. But I think that uh, it wasn't a bigger group than in the army of the petitioners because uh, these uh, partitioners armies have uh, bigger possibilities to you know, get reinforcements, sorry, um, and, things, and things like that. Um, and in the French army, there was much more, I don't know, volunteers, for example, but there's also some recruits, um, of course, um, but I think it wasn't so, so large group. Um, but, but like I said, there is just no research on, on, on that, um, so it's hard to, it's hard to compare it. Sure. Okay. I'm struck by something that you mentioned earlier, which is that there are instances where Polish regiments basically face each other on opposite sides of yeah. the battlefield. Um, do we have much information on what those encounters are like? Because I'm very conscious that we talk a lot about Waterloo and how you get um, points where 
troops who have served in Napoleon's army then end mm. up in the employment of the Prince of Orange. And there is a, a moment during the Battle of Bras where uh, I believe it's a cavalry regiment is trying to beseech their colleagues and vice versa to defect to the other side. Do we know much about the the conversations, the heckles, the calls in those kinds of encounters to know if a similar kind of thing was happening? Um, it's, it's in fact hard to say. We know that uh, some of the units were recruited from the prisoners of war. So not so it was a situation that during the campaign it was something like no propaganda to the other side to um, to prepare them for the desertion from the from the other side. We know that there was uh, uh, that, that, that there was a bad blood between Poles you know, on the French on and for example on the Austrian side. And this 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 background case is a good example of that. We've got a relation of Yusef Zawuski, who was uh, an officer of the Chevalier Regiment, and he described this uh, episode of clashing against this Austrian Ulan, something like we 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 saw them. I mean this uh, this uh, Austrian Ulan Regiment, and we started to saying there was there was words in uh, in Polish language to each other. So we so this uh, there was a hate between this this both sides. Uh, and in fact, there there is also other relation, uh, other memoirs by Stanislav Fischer. Uh, during the during the uh, the Chavoso period, he was a general, uh, chief of the general staff. But this relation was from the 1800s, and during that period, he was an officer of the Danube Legion. He was one of the units, Polish units in the French army, and he was taken prisoner during during the campaign in Germany because. And this Danube Legion was in the Moros army, uh, Amir Prime, and he was escorted by um, by these Polish Ulans from the from the Austrian army. And he also said that he had very bad relations with with his, with his soldiers that escorted him, and that's why he had some bad conditions during during uh, uh, during um, his captivity, in fact. Okay, there's there's so much that we could talk about off the back of this. Um, stay focused, like stay focused. Let's talk. Let's take it back to the French um, and the way in which these guys get organised. Because as I understand it, there is kind of a Polish contingent, right? I and mean, you're talking here yeah. about regiments being formed and all the rest of it. What's the rationale behind that? As in, why create? Polish units? Is it about trying to create kind of a, an esprit de corps and an affinity? Is it about pragmatism? They're all going to speak the same language. So that helps in terms of training and in terms of building bonds of trust and all the rest of it. Uh, versus the other option, which would be to integrate these these men across a series of other units that so you kind of have sort of little um, pockets of, of Polish troops within individual regiments. Uh, you you know, um, uh, as you said, there was a whole range of foreign formations in the army during both revolutionary and Napoleonic wars. In addition to the Polish, there were Italian, you know, Spanish, Dutch units, uh, and so on. For most of them, there was two main reasons for the existence of national units. It was uh, practical reason and political political reason. The practical, one, the practical one was closely related to the day-to-day -day functioning of the troops. 
it was simpler to create nationally homogeneous unit uh, because many soldiers, especially privates, did not speak French. French wasn't a language that even all officers knew. I know from my from my own uh, research that among officers in the Dutch of Warsaw, knowledge of French wasn't massive. For officers in the French army, the situation was probably better, especially a few years after the formation of the units. But it was certainly not the language spoken by the majority of soldiers. Of course, there were multinational formations. I don't know, in the French army, the Irish religion is a very good example of that state. But I assume that communication within it must have been problematic. And of course, you've got political dimension, which was no less important. The best example here is the Chevalier Regiment. The very formation of this regiment uh, since um, April 1807 was a key political signal of Napoleon's support for the Polish cause. Um, the political dimension can also be seen uh, well in the example of the Polish legions during the Revolutionary Wars. As long as France maintained its support for the Poles, the legions uh, retained their autonomy. Why, after the Treaty of Lunevi, the, they lost the French support, uh, at least no, nominally, their national character, and um, they lost their national character, and the French units were given successive French have brigades number. So, so these two two reasons were equally important, I think. Yeah, I'm gonna immediately jump ahead to 1813 and the point at which Napoleon sort of basically sticks the Duchy of Warsaw on the table as a bargaining chip. Yeah. Uh, and we did touch on this kind of last time, but I'm I'm interested in the point that you made, and it's relevant across both episodes, so we're going to stick with it, folks. Um, that part of the point here is ultimately about national identity and state formation. These guys are trying to throw their hat in, certainly the guys within the French army, are trying to throw their hat in with the side that they think they stand the greatest chance of um, seeing a, a Polish state restored. Now, when Napoleon starts to sort of put the idea of, hey, maybe we can sacrifice the Duchy of Warsaw in order to come to some kind of agreement, that's inevitably going to affect the morale of these guys. So what happens when you've got these concentrations of Polish troops who are suddenly turning around going, hang on, he said he was going to do what now? Because inevitably, then you've got a, a, a whole unit that potentially can mutiny en masse, which is quite dangerous. And these guys are going to be politically informed in the sense that if, if, they're aware of the fact that Napoleon's making this offer, that is going to hit them hard. Mm. To be honest, uh, nothing important happened. Um, there was uh, there was there was only a few resignations. The most famous is uh, the Hopowski. Um He wrote uh, memoirs. He was, in fact, uh, Napoleon just liked him. Uh, he was his one of the most uh, favorite uh, Polish officers and after he uh, after he heard that there is an offer to, to resign uh, of the Dutch of Warsaw to Napoleon he 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 resigned but it was uh, it was in fact the the most important resignation 
And in fact, both stayed on the Napoleonic side because of the, I don't know, few calculations. They knew that Napoleon is um, is the best opportunity for, for them anyway. That is a good point because they certainly weren't going to get a better hearing from the Russians. Yeah, yeah you, you know, we've got this whole case of negotiations in 1813. It's a, it's a case for the other episode. But to, 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 to say it shortly, there was a proposal made to the made to the post uh, from from the Russians, from the Tsar. But uh, this negotiations failed because because Alexander didn't want to um, didn't want to give any any uh, I don't know how, how to say it any any concrete that he said okay we will see if you change your side we will see we will negotiate we will talk with Russians for example with Russians I don't know maybe we will do something be our friends and after that we will see. Right, it was, it, was, it was something like that. So there was no concrete in the yeah, negotiations. No commitments being made. I'm with you. And Napoleon, Napoleon uh, even uh, even after Battle of Leipzig, there is this is this famous speech right from from September from October 1813 that he said, "Okay, I did some wrong things. Uh, I know that I made some mistakes uh, with the Polish cause. That I nominated Pratt from being ambassador. That." Uh, I didn't expect you enough, but be on my side. I will negotiate an uh, honorable way for you, even if I lose. And in fact, it, he did it. He did it. He, he, he kept his word for, to the polls. Okay, though, it's interesting that you don't get this mass desertion or defection. Um... After, 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 Leip after Leipzig, there was uh, a group of, a, group of uh, a, group, a large group of deserters. Even okay. from the from even from from the units from the French army, mostly from uh, Polish infantry guard battalion. Even the commander of that battalion deserted. Oh wow! I could have, but but it, it it was it was the only period after Leipzig. Mm -hmm. the, the, the first two weeks after Leipzig, that there was there was um, bigger number of decisions. But it okay. was it was the only example in fact. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I was going to say, you know, that's does that stand? Well, it does stand in contrast to what happens, of course, with Saxony. Um, but interesting. That yeah, you does know, you know, eventually... like, like, like I was saying, both were the most loyal allies of Napoleon. Mm. So it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's the other argument to say that, right? Sure. Okay, doke. Um, I'm going to rewind a little bit. And talk about um, the sort of where these guys end up and how they sort of end up um, in the French army. Because we were discussing something before we hit record about the fact that initially the French aren't really looking to um, bring foreign troops into the army. And then the, the mood changes not least because, you know, desperate times, desperate measures. Just talk us yeah. through that kind of early period of the revolution and how the attitudes shift. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Yeah, by far the most information we have about the officers of this unit, so I will focus mainly on them. Uh, at the time when the Polish leaders were formed, most of the officers were from former Polish army officers. Which had, which had emigrated to France after the fall of the Kosciuszko Uprising in 1794. Um, the private in, interns were recruited from among the prisoners of war from the Austrian army, as many recruits from Galicia, the part of Poland occupied by Austria during the partitions of Poland, were serving uh, in the legions. Uh, over time, there was also an um, influx of volunteers, because once information about the creation of the legions reached reached Polish territory. Uh, attempts began to join the legions, both by former officers and patriotic youth. Um, in the case of formations created after 1807, the situation was different. In fact, the Chevalier are a good example, as the regiment was composed of representatives of various social groups. Interestingly, it was contrary to Napoleon's intentions, who wanted the regiments to be composed of representatives of the Polish elite. Um, meanwhile, many representatives uh, of the aristocracy had already enlisted to, in the Polish army, so the requirements had to be loosened. So nominally, each chevalier had to equip himself, but with the time, the principle, the principle was adopted that equipment could also be taken on credit like uh, the French uh, treasury paid, and then part of the pay was adapted to repay the credit, right? Uh, nonetheless, the majority of the officers' cadre were noblemen, and in fact, the commander of the regiment, Count Vicente Kaczynski, who recruited many of his colleagues, had a many strong influence on the initial shape of the appointments. Uh, there was also a distinctive group of French officers for the Chevalier. In the early days, the regiment uh, had two French majors, uh, Pierre de Toncourt and Antoine Charles de Lettre. Um, the former, in particular, was very popular with the Poles who called him Papa. So, uh, so, so, so he was very, very popular in the regiment. Um, the situation was even different in 1813 when the Polish Guard uh, Infantry Battalion was formed. Um, the intention of the French. The um, uh, Marshal Motier, who was chief organizer of that battalion, um, was to recruit the best soldiers. So they were chosen mainly from among the Grenadiers companies, um, much to the displeasure of Prince Majatowski. As for officers, on the other hand, uh, there was quite a lot of competition to get into this unit. So it was mostly officers with, with considerable combat experience who found themselves there. And by the way, and by the way, I, I will make a small uh, digression because there was also some um, some people uh, in the Dutch army who said that 
the Poles shouldn't have in that battalion. It will be something like, I don't know, foreign legion, they will be mercenaries. That's, uh, in fact, it's it's not, it's not a good way. But this officers didn't 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 accept it, accept it, and just they just wanted to serve there. But there was there was a prestige, right, to serve in in the imperial guard, even even in the times of defeats. Um, and it's also what nothing that among uh, the Napoleonic was the these units like I don't know, Vistula legions, uh, Vistula legions, Chevalier partly. And were supplemented by recruits supplied by the Duchy of Warsaw, because you know you know there was some losses in that unit and they they want they, they need to be supplied right. Um, as it happens, I'm shortly after a visit in visit to France when I was doing scans of the regimental books of the Polish units in the French army, and I intend to do a demographic analysis of this regiment. Regiments, uh, I can already tell that they were diverse formations in terms of territorial origins, for example. So they, this, will be, this will be very important and interesting research, I think. Are you able to give us any more clues on that? Because that sounds fascinating. So I'd be interested to know anything else that you can share in terms of you know, these guys uh, in, and, and in, their in lives. You know, in, general, in general, we can find uh, soldiers from each part of ex ex Commonwealth, like like I don't know the ter ter territories who were part of the uh, of the duchy, but also from the other parts who were I don't know in Prussia and Austria and in Russia, for example. So, Do we have any so, information on things like social background and jobs that they might have been fulfilling before they, e they joined? Yeah, probably probably yeah, but I need to analyze it closely. Sure. Okay. So, uh, as you can hear from that question, folks, having heard episodes one and two of um, Napoleon's Waterloo Men with Graham Callister, I'm instantly thinking. Yeah, you know, we are. We are. Yeah, we are working on similar sources because he exactly. was. He was. He, he works also on regimental books. So precisely, it's, it's, yeah. like a, it's similar type of type of source. Yeah. Fingers crossed that will reveal some fascinating information about the social makeup yeah. of the force. Um, I'm interested in reception from their colleagues as well. And I know I touched on this last time, but I'm very conscious that xenophobia is alive and I don't want to use the word well because it's xenophobia and I don't want to put a positive connotation to it, but yeah. it's a thing during this period. Um, it has been a problem, as far as I can tell, throughout history that people have uh, employed pretty derogatory attitudes towards Polish folks. So, how do these guys get received when when they are serving? Are they accepted into the army? Because let's take the British as an example, just because I know what happens with the British. They are very slow and reluctant to. I mean, they never um, reach a point where they're happy with the service of the Spanish. They're very slow and reluctant to accept the idea that the Portuguese troops are actually really pretty good. Um, so do you see a similar resistance from the French? Because the French have their own sense of superiority, just as the British have their sense of superiority. The French also have a sense of superiority. Um, you see it in Spain and Portugal. Uh, I don't know enough about the Russian campaign to suggest whether or not there's a similar sense during the Russian campaign, but it wouldn't surprise me if that prejudice carries over. So for these guys, you could pretty easily point to a, a likelihood that 
they would experience stigma and and derogatory attitudes is that what happens you know i think that the poles were treated well especially as they proved to be good soldiers and polish troops were able to be praised by their french superiors and you know we got uh, a lot of reports i don't know um, from uh, the superiors i don't know from the Vistula region because infantry of the region was, I don't know, in Suche, uh, in Suche Corp, uh, and opinions about uh, about the units were very good. And of course, we've got the Vistula Ulans, which have bit, even better reputation um, uh, among uh, among French and also among, among Spaniards. Um, the same applied to relations with uh, French civilians. Um, there was, in fact, a group of Polish soldiers who married French women and remained in France after 1815. Um, nevertheless, a few exceptions can be identified. Um, probably the biggest of these is the situation after the charge in the Somosia Gorge, um, where the bulletin issued after the charge listed General Montbrun as its commander, who didn't even take part in this, in this charge. So Napoleon didn't want to give all of glory to the Poles. Um, and more interesting situation occurred in 1814, I think, during the formation of the Eclairer Regiment. Uh, this regiment, uh, this whole, re uh, this whole um, uh, Eclair formation was a formation modeled on the Cossacks and Polish Krakus, intended for reconnaissance. Uh, as it happened, a group of French recruits made their way to the Polish regiment because there was no, not enough Polish soldiers. To form this to form this sentiment at this at the time, and the quarrels broke out quite quickly between the Poles and the French, as the French had poor morale and in general they approached Napoleon with aloofness, so they were likely to be hand uh, to hand accidents, as the French complained that the Poles were bullying them, uh, you know that's. Um, and that they are not uh, that 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 they just had a bad opinion about the French. Um, this is probably which uh, this is probably why the French were sent back to the other regiments quite quickly from that regiment. So did so so some accidents took place, but in general, I think that the opinion was very positive among Poles. Um, we can we can see it especially when we analyzed. Polish officers who served in the general staff uh, of the Grand Army. Um, there is a quotation from one of the Polish, one of the Polish diaries that that the French used to give the most important tasks to the Poles because they were the most certain to to um, uh, to complete their task. So I think the opinion about Poles was in fact very good. Yeah, are they also given the most dangerous tasks in the process and just playing devil's advocate with that concept? If so, is that because there is this feeling, well, these are Polish troops, A, they'll fight hard, but also they're not French troops, so we can kind of, inverted commas, save our French troops and by default, therefore, they would be treating the Polish troops as expendable, or am I just being too cynical there? No, no, I, I think I, I think it's not it's not it's not it's not it's not true. In fact, of course, of course, of course, there are, there are, there are opinions like that. Especially, I don't know about uh, Samosera charge, 
there is an opinion that okay, this this task was uh, impossible in fact. Okay, so Napoleon sent that uh, sent the Polish squadron to, to to do this task. But the reason why the Poles made this charge was simple because uh, there was this regiment was uh, this, um, this this squadron was on service that day. So, for example, if I don't know Chasseur squadron was on service that day, they they would charge. So this was probably this is probably not not true. And so the, the the thing is that the Poles were um the the the, the Poles were very good very good star officers and fact and soldiers. Like 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 as like like I said, the French used to give them this hard task to make. Um, because they were certain, of, 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 especially especially that these officers, uh, I don't know, staff officers, and in fact, uh, an elite, uh, we can say of the Polish officers, they were in many cases very educated. They knew several languages, which wasn't uh, common. I don't know, like among French officers, for example, that that like like that like I don't know, we've got some officers like I don't know Roman Sotic or Alexander Fredro. He was, in fact, by the way, a famous Polish poet of uh, after the Napoleonic Wars, but he was also an officer during, during the Napoleonic Wars. Um, and they knew several languages, like, I don't know, of course, French, but also German, in some cases, Russian. So they, was, uh, they were valuable to the French, right? Right? That, 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 that there were some situations like, you know, okay, so we, we will send a Polish officer because, I don't know, we, we, we have a campaign in Germany and he knows German. And we've got some, uh, I don't know, memoirs that it saved uh, Polish officers that, that, I don't, that, I don't know, we've got a history when um, when a Polish officer was close to be captured, but he said a few words in German, he said that he's a Prussian officer or something, and he was saved, for example. And if, uh, and if, if Berthier would, say, would say, send, I don't know, French, he wouldn't say uh, say a word in, in German that he would be captured, right? Right. So um, this was this advantage of the Polish officers. So this, 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 this is this thing that we've got this case of the majority of the Polish officers who didn't speak French, and we've got this group of elite uh, officers who knew uh, several languages and served in the general staff of the Grand Armée, right? Interesting. So there's a sense of sort of deploying your best assets where they are most needed. That's that's nice and reassuring to hear. I want to pick up on something that you said in relation to some Sierra and Montbrun, um, I believe you said, being attributed to the success. And, and you said that Napoleon essentially didn't want to give all the glory to the Poles. Inevitably, you have to ask the question, why? Yeah, I think it's a it's a um, it's a good question. I think the main reason main reason for this was that it was a great success. So I don't know the French just didn't want to I don't know said that they did nothing in in the during that uh, during that big victory. So we give them a French command and we we will say okay it was a Polish charge but. There was a French who commanded them, so it is. In, in, so partly, it's a it's a French victory also, not only Polish. 
Okay, interesting. And, 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 and this, among the charts, and the chart. You probably know Louis Thiers and his history of the consulate and the empire. And in that book, Thiers said that, uh, that um, Montbrun really, uh, really commanded that chart. And, uh, it, and uh, he was criticized because of it by uh, veterans of that chart, especially Andrzej Nigolewski, who sent several letters to Thiers. Um, and he published his own memoirs because of it. Um, there was a quite a big campaign to uh, to change this part of the book, um, made by uh, made by Nikolevsky and others. Um, but the but it wasn't a success, and uh, and uh, and Thiers stayed with his opinion. Um, but uh, but the situation. Was uh, was quite big, uh, and was this whole discussion uh, after 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 uh, after publishing this uh, this volume of uh, of T.S. book with uh, description of the chart. When did that book come out? Out of interest, uh, I don't know. It was something okay. like oh, to be to be to be honest, I don't know. Just roughly speaking, eighteen eighteen uh, fifties. 1850s, archidoke. So 80, I don't 80, think we can... 80, 40s, 80, 50s. Sure. Something like that. Can't quite call it a history beef, folks, but yeah. it's a sort of contemporary yeah, beef. So, yeah, you know, the Polish veterans are still alive there, so they had this opportunity to say, it, uh, Mr. Thiers, it, it wasn't true what you wrote, right? That situation, that situation was uh, quite different. <laughs> in the fact, in the Polish historiography and Polish sources, there are many discussions about the discharge because it's a very famous episode in Poland. Um, and in fact, there are discussions to this day how how this uh, how this uh, how this charge uh, really looked like, uh, how many uh, soldiers took part, how long this charge took. Um, I don't know how many guns had Spaniards and something like that. Um, there's there's whole discussion since 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 half of the 19th century, um, and there is a, the there is a, the newest uh, book about the charge, which was published uh, I don't know like ten years ago, which was written by by my colleague, um, and he and he wrote that the situation was quite different that uh, all the historiography present the charge, like uh, that. Um, the French batteries uh, were different. That there was described that uh, the charge was much longer. That it wasn't I don't know 15 minutes and and it's and uh, and it's done. But it was I don't know one one hour or something. That there was a big problems during that charge. That there was in fact three charges on each battery, each each Spanish battery and so on. So there is a whole discussion in Poland to this day about it. And just tell people who your colleague is, because if they can, they'll want to read up on that research. Yeah, it's it's written by Jan Laske and Rafał Małowiecki, Samosiera 1808, published by Napoleon V. Publishing.
and which languages was it published in? Was it? Uh, it's, it's Polish, in Polish, in Polish, unfortunately. In Polish. Uh, any translations but, but, available for those who uh, read French or? Uh, to be honest, to be honest, I don't know. Okay. Um, no yeah, yeah, that, 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 that is a whole different topic of discussion. Uh, we spoke about that. There's a problem with the Polish historiography in the West, right? Indeed, indeed. Um, one final question for this half. Yes, folks, we are going to break this into two because we're 45 minutes in and I've got a fistful of questions that I'm looking at here, um, many of them very lengthy. So rather than bundle it all into one, we will do this properly and in depth and break it up and you can come back and enjoy another part on a different commute, assuming, of course, that you're listening to this on a commute. The Légion d'honneur, kind of staying with that sense of credit where it's due and people getting the recognitions, do we have much in the records of Polish troops being awarded the Légion d'honneur? Inevitably, it's going to be proportionate, I would imagine, to number of troops serving in the French army. But nonetheless, that option was always there, at least in theory. So what do we know about recipients of Légion, the Légion d'honneur and how many there were and and their their stories i guess oh i think that there was uh much of the police soldiers and officers which were decorated with uh, legion d'honneur um i think that it it even started before it was established because you know uh, before before uh, before the legion d'honneur was established there was something called honorable weapons uh, which were gave to the soldiers and officers, uh, and this kind of reward uh, was given, for example, to um, Karol Kniazewicz, who was commander of the uh, of the Danube Legion, and he he was decorated by honor, uh, stable of honor, and uh, because of it, he he he, uh, he had also uh, a legion. Uh, a legion uh, of honor. So in general, we've got something like 1,500 poles, which were decorated. Uh, wow, the, that's quite a lot. The legion d'honneur. So, but it's both from the Dutch of Oslo army and poles in the French army and civilians. Okay. But I think I don't know 90 something something percent of it. It's uh, it's for military people. Yeah. Yeah, both 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 the Warsaw and Poles in the French army. Of course, I mean that's consistent with much of the distribution of the the Legion d'honneur um, across Napoleonic France as well. So that oh, it's, it, it, it's a quite it. quite big quite big number. To compare yeah. it with to compare it, we've got uh, two uh, hundred two thousand five hundred decorations of the Virtuti Militari. It's the highest Polish decoration during the period. So, so Legion of Honor was more elite uh, decoration. Mm -hmm. No, mostly because it was a foreign decoration, right? Yeah, I suppose. Um, do they also get all of the benefits that come with Legion d'Honneur? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they got the benefits, and there there was whole case after the Napoleonic Wars when Poles uh, wanted to have their their pensions, right, which were related to have this Legion of Honor. So there, so there was correspondence with French authorities, and I mean the royal authorities, right, to have these pensions. But we know that it was banned by by French, and so they said they, they just said no, and buy 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 pensions from from for the poor. 
Oh, that's not good. That's not... <laughs> it doesn't surprise me because that's very sort of Bourbon yeah, restoration Fun fact, fact, fact is that Polish, uh, Polish authorities made uh, a calculation of the things that uh, that French didn't pay to the Poles, and it was quite uh, quite big uh, number of money, you know. Yeah. And this and this and these calculations were from 1830, 18, uh, 1830. So, so few years after the after the break was ended. Yeah, that's that's not okay. You can understand why it was done, but that doesn't mean that it was morally the the right decision. Um, it's a sad point on which to pause, but a poignant one nonetheless. Um, David, a fascinating first part of the discussion. We will be back, folks, uh, very shortly with, well, I say very shortly, David and I are just going to carry on recording, but we will be back on your in your ears. Um, that sounds a bit sinister, doesn't it? I don't mean it in a sinister way, but we, we shall return to the podcasting airwaves. They don't actually go out in airwaves. I, I need to hurry up and wrap up this this episode. We'll, we'll be back soon. Um, but David, it's been a fascinating first half. Looking forward to the second bit. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Folks, if you're new here, remember to hit the subscribe button so that you can find your way back. Much love to all my Patreon supporters and shout outs to my mentioned in dispatches patrons, Rob Griffith, Brendan Teeling, Beatrice de Graaf, Lynn Dawson, Lucy Tatner, Jim Deary, Josh Keeney, Colin Fieldhouse, Stephen Coulson, Jim Getz, Indiana Fats, Stephen Gillen, Rob Coughlin, Hugh Brennan, Alistair Campbell-Greve, Andy Meakin, Mark Anscombe, Bruins Girl, Noah Fink, Mark Trowbridge, Mars Reedy, Nick Overland, Graham Goodwin, Chris Pramus, Anthony Gumbau, Andrew Wright, Anonymous American, Martin Pisani, Ulrich Ducado, James Fluick, Roger O'Donnell, Natasha Hobday, Chris Kimbell, Gary Dennis, David Graylick, Ted Andrews, David Malitsky, Richard Anderson, Arthur Forgey, Reto the Sci-Fi Fan, Adam Green, Tim Day, Sam Moore, Wyatt Pollock, Armin Darwin, Carol Dixon-Smith, Paul Gasek, and Roland Shark. And the Admirals, John Haynes, JC Kaiser, Mike Guest, Liam Telfer, Todd and Laird Campbell, Graham Swidenbank, Rachel Stark, Mark Duckers, David Maxwell, David Priest, Graham Callister, Sean Sullivan, Stephen Ashworth, Dan Hazelwood, Kate Walcombe, Steve Carter, and Clemens. I'll be back very soon, but until then, I'm Zach White. This has been the Napoleonic Wars Pod. Take care of yourselves, my friends. Stay well, stay safe, and as always, thank you for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.